Our scripture reading tonight is taken from 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. We'll read the first 13 verses, that is the entire chapter. The Apostle Paul addresses this church, which knows divisions, rivalry of spirit, immorality in its ranks, lawsuits among fellow members, needing instruction in principles of marital living, not asserting your rights, confused about partaking of the Lord's Supper, confused about spiritual gifts, and it's particularly in that light that he addresses a better way, and that's going to be our focus tonight. First Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Thus our reading from God's holy word, and may he bless it to us. Well, one way to begin a sermon like this is to admit I have to be pretty loving while I preach this sermon. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a big gong. It's pretty challenging to know your, your own faith, your own effort to minister to the church needs to be driven by love, not by pride, not how am I doing, what will you think of me? But what Christ thinks of us and what we think of each other, to talk about love unlovingly isn't edifying. And no doubt I've probably done that before with other preachers. 
And then when you look at the problems this church at Corinth had, what a church it was. Now, most of us, when we think of church, what's church? Well, it's what I'm used to. It's what I grew up with, probably, something like that. So church feels a certain way. It has certain textures, certain moods. It's filled with certain people. When I was a boy, it was always this old man who had a ready supply of candies for little kids and he always wore a hat. So on Easter Sunday I was bought, my mother bought me a hat and I was all dressed for Easter Sunday with my hat and I went up to him and we matched. And that was one little feel of church, a loving place. The church isn't always a loving place. It can be backbiting. There can be disputes. Here in Corinth, there were lawsuits. There was sexual scandal. There was, well, I liked Reverend so-and-so better than Reverend such-and-such. Oh, really? I thought Pastor such-and-such was the best. Don't you? How can you say what you say? Well, for me, I'm all about Jesus. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm going to stick with the Savior. It was a church that was messy. It was not an easy church to serve. And Paul has his challenges. You can also think about the Christian life that way. What is the Christian life? And you might feel like it's a series of devotional habits or refrain from certain practices or habits. If you've ever worshipped in other churches quite different than our own, non-reformed churches, you know, with a different kind of church culture, you'll discover that they have, their, their worship might feel different and their values, the things they put the accent on for Christian living can be different as well. I once worshipped for some time with some Baptists, and I learned some good things from some Baptists, but certain things we value weren't, weren't on their radar. Other things aren't so much on our radar, we're very much on theirs. How to bring lost people to church and get them saved. That was very much on their radar. Cared about it a lot. The thing is, no matter what kind of church you're talking about or style of Christian life or where you place the accent, love is not optional. It's not like, go down the list, oh, love's in there too, okay, you want to check that box, we should care about it, oh, sure, let's check it. No, it's not one item among many items, it's the thing that bundles all the items. None of the items matter if that one's missing. And that's what Paul's about when he wants to show them a better way. Because in chapter 12 it was about spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts, especially gifts of tongue, the Spirit filling you up and this speech comes from your mouth. From, prompted by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's in me, I'm speaking to offer something edifying, but unless there's an interpreter, it's gibberish. 
it needs it has a place but it needs a context it needs other gifts to fill it out and they had gotten kind of conceited and proud do you speak in tongues wow this is a big gift and your gift is a little gift a small gift a lesser gift and that was a wrong totally wrong way to think about it so he's going to show them a better way and that's good for any church and every church to think about not a childish Christianity not an immature way of thinking about things not a one-upsmanship I'm a notch ahead of you look what I can do and you can't I really matter in this church and you're just sort of a wallflower I matter you don't None of this immature, adolescent, childish Christianity. I'm going to, how about a better way? And that's 1 Corinthians 13. And we know he's talking about the way of love. And as you look at these verses, this better way is a necessity because love is a necessity. It's not finally an option. And then this necessity of love will display love's character. And so we'll look at that as well. And finally, this way of love isn't temporal, but permanent. I mean, what good if it's only for a while? Now, the first three verses here show us something of love's necessity. And that's an issue for every church. The Corinthians aren't unique in this. Love isn't a spiritual gift, as I was saying earlier, and you can pick that one and not have that one. No, love is the one that's going to package them. It's the one that's not optional at all. Even, even when you think of fruit of the Spirit, the idea isn't that you go down the list of fruit of Spirit and say, well, fruits, which one do I like? I like bananas and apples and pineapples, but, you know, pears and cherries or whatever I can do without. Well, these gifts of teaching and knowledge and prayer and faith, that eh, they're okay, but tongues and miracles and other stupid, there's the ones I care. No. Fruit of Spirit is to be characterized in every believer, just like the Beatitudes, the blessings Jesus speaks of poverty of spirit and, and meekness, and you go down suffering for righteousness' sake. It's not like, well, I, I want that one and not that one. No, all of them, all these beatitudes are to characterize who we are in Christ Jesus, the new regime he brings. So what about this better way? Well, you can start with your own church. Is it a society? Is it a sorority? Is it just a social club? Is it a fellowship of family and extended family? That's who I care about. That's who I talk to. Is it some version of junior high or high school? where I have my friends, the people I care about, the people who matter to me, share my interests, and we're our group, and you can have your group, just don't get in the way of our group. 
Some people think a church like that and practice church like that. It's like they never got out of high school. But that's a childish way of thinking and living. That's not maturity. That's childish. To huddle with your group, I'm insecure, I find security, we're it, they're not, stay out, safe. That's not Jesus. That's not love. And it's not what we're, it's not the better way. It's really important we grasp that. Church is never supposed to be a popularity contest, and this one has status, and this one's important, and that group really matter, and too bad for you. Ta-ta. <laughs> no, not every church has that problem, but some churches do. And if it is a problem, it's something we need to heed and, and, and correct deliberately. Elders need to address it pointedly and not practice the childishness themselves. Really important. So this better way, it's a way of not low worship expectations, but high ones filled with gratitude. You know, we all know the difference between we get to worship. In fact, I like worshiping with you. You lift your voices, you sing. Joy, praise, yes. We're here. Let's celebrate God and his love and grace. But you might worship in other churches where everyone's sort of slumped. <laughs> Their faith is in a slump. And they've been in a slump. Oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. And it makes you go into a slump. That's certainly not the better way. Now, there's a more excellent way. Chapter 12 shows this church here in which they were taking an attitude almost, well, yeah, we're, we're, we're whole bodies. We have heads and eyes, ears, nose. We have mouths and hands and arms and the whole business. And none of us would say, well, you know, I've been using my right arm. I'm a right-handed person. But I guess I don't need my left hand. I, you, you can get rid of it. Of course not. We would not want to lop off one part. I have one eye. I don't need the other. I hear well out of this ear well enough. I don't need the other. So forth. And yet, as church in Corinth, I don't need you. We need to ask ourselves how we might be used, and we need to help people be used. It doesn't all have to be conspicuous gifts, but certainly we need to care about that. We can't go armless or headless or legless. Church doesn't function well that way. It's one body, one entity. And that's how he says, now you're one body, the very end of chapter 12, verse 27. You're one body, individually members. God has appointed in the church apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administering, various kinds of tongues. Not everyone's an apostle. 
I labor among a bunch of egg-headed preachers. And boy, they all have a lot to say. You don't want too many of them in a room at once, believe me. <laughs> of course, I don't do that. You know. <laughs> we need people to interpret. But he says, desire the higher gifts, and he's going to point us to love. My mother isn't near as educated as I am, but she's always loved better than I do. She doesn't have skills at apologetics, but she'll talk to strangers and love them and pray for them. While I'm shy, she has the gift that bundles all the gifts. She has love. This is the better way. It's important we really believe that and see that. Now, some of you who are my age or older know that back in the 70s, before there was America has talent, got talent, all that, there was a show called The Gong Show. Some of you will remember this. And it was, America doesn't have talent. <laughs> because usually it had guests on it who would perform some act badly. And the, the Hollywood sort of guests, being the judges, would have to listen to this terrible act. And if it was beyond endurance, they would stand up and grab this big stick and hit a big gong on stage, at which time the act had to stop and get them off stage. It was, it was a comical show, show, but if you don't have love, so what? You can speak in tongues by the power of the Spirit in you. You're a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. It amounts to nothing. If I have prophetic powers, what a preacher, I'm so blessed. Understand mysteries, all knowledge, you're opening up the mysteries of faith. If I have all faith, I can even, a mountain moving faith. But I have not love, I am nothing. Love isn't optional. And Paul wants us to understand that. A, a church fighting about the wrong things lovelessly. Look at us, we're it. And you don't see how poverty-stricken you are. It's a big gong without love. And so we all need to understand that the gifts exercised, however they're exercised, are exercised not with pride, not with bitterness, not with notice me, not so that I'll be noticed, not for compliments, but there's nothing wrong with encouraging with one another, but exercise because we love Christ, we love his people, we love the gospel, we want to see kingdom come, come! We want to see the church built. So whether it's prophecy or faith or whatever, Without love, it's a big zero. And so you have to feel sorry for and keep praying for preachers. Your pastor's away, so I'm going to give a little shot in the arm 
for preachers. See, a preacher is the guy who's up there exercising his gift publicly all the time and being evaluated all the time. And he's the guy who's also assessing and evaluating himself all the time. And the devil likes to kick us when we're down and kick sand in our face and tell us how terrible we are and how much we fail. And some preachers beat up on themselves and listen to that a lot. And they will inevitably be compared. You know, Paul could write some pretty thick, turgid sentences. Even scholars, you have to walk through them slowly to, what, all right, what is he saying? <laughs> I gotta map this out, this, this is tough. I'm not confident everyone thought Paul was the best. But he was God's servant, was given a particular gift that continues to bless. Maybe it takes a lot of work to decipher Paul, but there's blessing in doing that. And others will have elegance, and others will have a better understanding of where you're at and where you're harmed and where you're hurting. So pastors need to be prayed for. They're one of those gifts but pray that the pastor ministers in love, not frustration, not bitterness, not trying to please, not trying to win over those who, if you just act this way and become that, then I'll be in your corner. Pray that whatever he does, he does in Jesus' name, in love. Paul goes on, he talks about hardship. Offering your body up, right? I mean, that gets pretty serious. Deliver up my body to be burned. That takes a lot of courage. But even that can be badly motivated. If it's without love, it gains nothing. It's not the better way. It's the worldly way. It's a broken way. Paul amps it up. Not only the hardship of body, but you can offer your, your money. The rich young ruler, think of that. That's another form of sacrifice. Go, sell all that you have, and come follow me. And he wasn't about to fulfill the first and great commandment or the second like unto it. And he went away sad. But you know, the rich young ruler could have offered up everything, but if he offered it up without love, he'd still be sad. Paul wants Corinth to grow up, to pursue the better way, a Christian living that isn't empty and sad and deflated and slumped and... <sighs> Sighing, but standing up straight, looking to the pioneer of our faith, following in his footsteps, confident. We don't need gong show Christianity. Get it off the stage. We need Christianity of love. I've always found it interesting how churches get their name. You know, I'm sure 
names get thrown into a pot. Faith, Redeemer, Bethel, Bethany, you know, these, and, you know, then the congregation votes, and it's, it's faith. Okay. But no one's ever so bold to say, the love of Christ here, church. <laughs> oh, that's a high order. Come and be loved. Be accepted and embraced and hear the gospel of Jesus, church. That's <laughs> a tall order. Careful now. I'm glad we don't name churches gossipy, reformed, or backbiting Presbyterian, or uh, look down our nose at the outsider you know, Baptist, or, you know, that happens in churches. It's not the way of love. And so it's important that we indeed, whatever the name of our church, love binds it all together. Paul talks about that too. Love binds it all together because we're loved people, sacrificed for, wanted, claimed, redeemed. Love isn't a sentimentality that pities on the sidelines. Love takes action. And that gets us to the character of love. He shows us that character. It's quite a list. Love is, you can count it up on your fingers. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Wow! Woo! You didn't go through all those, Pastor? No. Now, when I was young in my 30s, I preached a series of sermons where I hung out on all those for quite a long time. Even I was tired. But this is, this is a one shot. Rather than go through them all, this character of love, how about we come at it from another angle? How about we ask the question, where am I falling short in the love department? Now it becomes a little more individual. You can think of it as a church question too. What are you impatient about and toward whom? I have little forbearance. I can suffer not very long at all with this problem, this burden, that person, this situation. We all know the answer to that. You maybe even pray about it. Maybe you're angry with God about it. Who are you unkind toward? Either they just don't matter to you at all, or you actually bear them a grudge, you're annoyed, you bristle when you think of them. Maybe you're overtly unkind or just sort of passively, I don't notice, unkind. That's not love, is it? And we all do it. You can start in the family of God. It's, it's a very personal question. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It's kind. Envy has that ugly shade of green, green with envy. I even highlighted it in green in my notes. Love doesn't envy. Envy is a vicious sin, you know. It's when, hey, my son, he got a full ride scholarship to such and such. We're so so proud of him. We're so happy for him. It was financially going to be so difficult. And you're like, oh, swell, <laughs> great, yeah. I hope he loses his scholarship. That's envy. It's not just jealousy. It actually would like to see someone despoiled of grace and goodness and blessing. She's so pretty and she's so sure about it. I hope she gets fat. Whatever. That's it's a vicious, ugly sin. It's not love. So you're going to ask yourself as you go down the love list which isn't just for weddings, you know. It's not puffed up. It's not a spiritual windbag. It's not, well, I count, I matter. Work in a seminary for a while. And even spiritual men can have a rivalry at times. It's quite unspiritual. It's not love. Who's beneath your time, your concern, your greedy? your polite welcome that you just don't think about them at all. It's not love. It's worldly. Worldly people do that. You don't have to be a believer to act that way. You know, sometimes we think of worldliness as carousing sins, sleeping around sins, drinking, drugging sins, squandering wealth, infidelities and all that, but you know, impatience and unkindness and snubbing and boasting and pride and rudeness and being self-seeking and just looking out for your own or yourself, that's worldly too. It's very worldly. It's not Jesus. It's not love. Paul tells Corinth, even scolds Corinth, conjoles Corinth to the better way. She was conceited for all the wrong reasons because she had no reason to be. If you're going to boast, boast in Jesus, boast in grace, boast in his love, boast in his care. It's the more excellent way. The character of love is shown up when we ask ourselves where we're falling short. We live in a time and place in which we know status. We live in a culture of popularity and celebrity. We live in times in which preachers feel it, you know, just like Hollywood. There's those who have charisma. They just have it. God gave it to them. There it is. And then the church craves the same thing in the church. And along comes the humble servant of Christ who wasn't given that but he's given a heart for you 
whoever that can be, pastor from a past, present pastor, all of them, may they have love. May you have love for them. May you have love for one another. May you have love for the lost. May we have that together. It's the better way. It's just way better. It's Christ's way. I was raised in a small church, a small CRC, short on money, short on talent, short on volunteers, short on leadership, short on musicians. They weren't going to win over to them, come come to our church, the most superstar sort of pastor, the most gifted and talented and charismatic, no. They felt their shortcomings and they felt need for each other. And if they were backbiting in a small church, you really know it right away and it hurts a lot. Our musicians was a woman who offered her organ skills that were in development. She had an odd sense of timing. It made it awkward to sing. And then we had a high school girl who played as hard as she could at full sprint. (laughs) It was curious, but it still beat in that small church singing a cappella. It wasn't overly musically gifted. And I'm part of a church, and I've been part of churches that just ooze with multiple musical talent. And yet, in that small church, you didn't hear criticism about music. And in the big ones with so much, you do. Hmm. Are we spoiled a little bit? Is that what happens? That we're not short of money, we're not short of talent, we're not short of leadership, we're not short of of teachers, we're not short of, of skilled musicians and the rest, and then... Where, as a pastor, I once served a thousand-member church that had all those things in abundance, but they also had music wars and worship wars and backbiting and sniping and fighting and division because they didn't have what they needed most, love for each other. Patience, not insisting on its own way, but arrogant and rude, resentful, irritable, bearing up and remembering every wrong, every word. Believe me, love is the better way. Love protects. Love trusts. Love hopes. Love perseveres, it never fails, it doesn't give up. It comes to aid, it defends. Consider God's love for you. What part of God's love would you want it to be tired? That it's at the end of its rope, that it's fatigued and done with you. Of course, none of those things. You want God's love because that's what it is. It's going to see you to the end. It's going to see you to victory. It's going to see you to glory. It's going to see kingdom come and you're part of it. 
with all his people everywhere. Love perseveres. It never ends. And that brings us to its permanence. Now, get this. Prophecies, they're going to end. Preachers, sermons, exegeting, that's all going to come to an end. <laughs> you know, an amen to that. Yeah, all right. <laughs> you know, but young people, is, is heaven going to be just a long sermon? And you're, No. Preaching will come to an end. Knowledge, all that stuff, seminary professor stuff, and all the other knowledge there's to know, has its place, aids the church, helps us in its struggles, but that too will pass away. What will remain is faith, hope, and love. Faith in the God who loves us and saves us, hope in who he is and what he'll always do, and love. There's three of them, but remember this and always remember this. It's love that ever abides. And so Paul offers up a little illustration here from childhood to maturity. You know, he seems like suddenly he changed his topic, but he's, he's making the same point. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. What do you expect? And the smaller the child, the more childish they speak. They speak. And I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I was childish because I was a child. When I became a man, I stopped being a child. Now, every one of us here can think about their childhood and its best times and their favorite toys and their favorite friend and their favorite activities and and the stuff they planned as a child and the things they did and, you know, whether it's video games or for me it was my Hot Wheels set and my Fort Apache when I was younger and my Mattel rifle that looked like the Rifleman show and it shot real plastic bullets and everything. I really thought I was in the Old West. I thought like a child. I was a child. And sometimes it's hard to stop being a child. But when you're a child, you don't think about mortgages and bills and taxes and payments and deadlines and responsibilities and meetings. You're thinking about, what can I do today? What's my chores? They're done now. I can go be a child. But that's no way to live the Christian life, childishly. The Christian life presses on. It grows up. It's not about gifts. It's not about Reverend so-and-so versus pastor such-and-such. It's not competition. It's not one-upsmanship. It's how might I bless. Then he uses a second illustration. Right now, we see in a mirror dimly, or we see off of glass a reflection poorly. It's distorted. It's not in full focus. We don't have everything there. That's now. Then, what's coming, I'll see face to face. Now I live by faith and I reach out with what I have and what I know and trust God. Then, 
What I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. There's faith, there's hope, and love. But God doesn't need faith, and God doesn't need hope. But God is love. We need love. There's not a church that doesn't need it. There's not a Christian that doesn't need it. And you can't manufacture it. You need to receive love. Know your love. Don't let the devil lie to you. Know you're loved, and it gives you the capacity to love. You don't have to be first. Don't have to be recognized. Don't have to matter. Don't have to have that conspicuous gift. You just have to belong to Jesus. You're loved. And you can love back. You see, that's the better way. That's the excellent way. Not this fighting with each other way. Here's the way of Jesus. Here's a path that offers sacrifice of self in love. Lord, take my life. Let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That. I love you, Lord. You love me. Here's the better way for all of us. Amen. Our gracious God, we ask that you would bless this word to us, encouraging word to pursue the path of love because we're loved, where the character of love, it doesn't characterize us, forgive us and change us and remind us afresh of that love that sacrificed itself for us, must have us, would have us, and has us by your grace. May we live that life together as a church here in this place for your glory. Amen.